All right, everybody, peace, and welcome to the Sorry to Bother You podcast. Wherever and however you are listening, we're grateful to have you here with us. I'm Kashawn Cottle, and my co-host, Carrie Hall, is finally here with me. We've got a lot in store on the show for you guys today. Uh, what's going to be the outcome of the Alabama-LSU game this Saturday? And what impact is that going to have on the college football playoff? We're going to be talking about how well the Celtics did in their performance and their win against the Hornets. We're also going to talk about the thought process that freshmen and new players should have as they join their new teams for the start of training camp. We've got that to go along with a lot more, but let's start out with some formal introductions. As you guys know, my co-host, Carrie Hall, was unable to be here with us for our last episode, but we are finally able to be graced with her presence, and I'm sure you guys are excited to learn more about her. So, Carrie, Miss Carrie Hall, why don't you tell us a little, tell us a little about yourself? Hello, 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 everybody. Yes, I'm so excited to finally be joining the podcast in week number two, but I have finally made it. I'm a little bit about myself. I'm a former college athlete, did college track and field, you know, did a little bit of throwing, running, jumping, a little bit of everything. Um, also a former basketball player, not as good as Kashan. Actually, that's not true. I'm a lot better than Kashan. <laughs> Just kidding, Kashan. <laughs> Gotta show love for my brev. But now I am currently playing volleyball here at BU. Excited to join the podcast and chat up some sports. Thank you, Carrie. We really appreciate you being on the show with us, and we really appreciate your insight. So let's get right into it. Uh, let's start out with some NCAA football. Uh, as you guys know, there's a huge Big Ten matchup this weekend. It's number 17, Minnesota, going up against uh, number four, Penn State. Uh, Carrie, what did you? Uh, what do you got? What do you got for that? Like you said, Kashan, it's a big matchup between these two teams. Uh, both teams are currently undefeated. Uh, Penn State is sitting at 8-0. and And uh, they're tied with, uh, I think, first with Ohio State, right, in the East Division. Um, they've won all of their road games. So it should be an inter- match- interesting matchup for them against the Gophers. They're playing, at, they're playing, in, um, they're playing in Minnesota, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're playing in Minnesota this week. So it should definitely be a big matchup. Obviously, the quarterbacks have really driven things for both of these offenses this season, so I think it's going to come down to that, and then also speed on the offensive side as well. All right, like you said, this is a huge Big Ten matchup. Minnesota's currently sitting atop the Big Ten West, currently two games ahead of Wisconsin, with the Big Ten, uh, with Penn State sitting atop the Big Ten East, or I'm sorry, tied with Ohio State in the Big Ten East. And some things about Minnesota, Minnesota has scored over 34 points in every Big Ten game they've played in this season. Uh, Minnesota has shown tremendous improvement over the past three years under their third-year coach, P.J. Fleck. And the, with Minnesota's offense, they're currently, they have a tremendous running game attack led by senior running back Rodney Smith, who has currently has over 880 yards and seven TDs on the ground this year. And interestingly enough, Kerry, he is, he's gone over 100 yards for five straight games. And so it's going to be interesting to see if he can keep up uh, this great season going up against a tremendous Penn State D-line. And in my opinion, the D-line for Penn State is the strength of their entire defense, uh, led by their uh, led by Shaka Tony, uh, Yitur Grossmatos, and Micah Parsons. Uh, in total, those guys account for over, over 20 sacks for Penn State. And... It's going to be interesting to see how the Minnesota offensive line and their running game uh, fares against that Penn State D-line. That's where Minnesota's quarterback, Tanner Morgan, is going to come in. So far, he's been playing stellar, in my opinion. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the the Big Ten so far. He's sitting with 18 TDs and four interceptions. And his ability to to make the right reads, he doesn't really force the issue too much. That's why I really like his game. And a couple... Coupled that with his uh, amazing uh, wide receiver threat with uh, Tyler Johnson, who in my opinion is one of the best wide receivers in college football, probably behind Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. Uh, let's look for Tyler Johnson to get get uh, get open on the inside seam routes and the post routes against a somewhat subpar Penn State secondary. Now, I don't know if... Minnesota will be able to win strictly relying on uh, uh, on John, on uh, Tanner Morgan, uh, just simply because Minnesota has done such a good job when the offense is running through Rodney Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just don't see Minnesota being able to run the ball against Penn State's D-line. 
And so I, I do see uh, Minnesota struggling a little bit, uh, especially with the pressure that's going to be applied. But I do expect, I do still expect Tyler Johnson to have a good game. And uh, with Penn State, uh, Sean Clifford has been an exceptional quarterback. Uh, he doesn't like the same thing with, with Morgan. He doesn't force the issue too much, but I, he's a better deep ball thrower, and he does. Have, he also has a pretty good threat with uh, KJ Hamler, who is also one of the top wide receivers in college football. I think they'll be able to uh, get the top up on the Minnesota secondary. I think the play action is going to work against Minnesota as well. They're somewhat susceptible to that. But uh, with all that being said, I. I have Penn State winning this game by a score of 34 to 17. I don't see it being particularly close throughout the game. Uh, I do see Minnesota attempting to make somewhat of a comeback late in the fourth, but by that point, it'll be too little too late. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with most of what you said. Like you said, Minnesota has uh, has their quarterback, Tanner Morgan. Obviously, he's quite young. He's only a sophomore, but still, as a sophomore, he's shown a lot of maturity in his playing style. Very composed, you know, knows how to play the game. But if you look at the history, Penn State has won, what, the last five of the past six meetings um, with against uh, Minnesota. And the last time they played was in 2016, I believe. And so, I mean, if you look at history, I mean, Penn State has the upper hand, but it could really come down to anyone's. But I also do have Penn State winning this game. But I have them winning a score of 28-14. to 14, So, I guess we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Both of us have Penn State winning that game. Let's And then let's go into the... The big matchup in college football this weekend, uh, number two LSU uh, against number three Alabama. Carrie, what do you? What are your thoughts on LSU? Mm. <laughs> what, are, what are my real thoughts on LSU? <laughs> yeah. What are What are my impartial thoughts on LSU? No, it's going to be a really good game either way. You know, this is a big SEC matchup. Obviously, LSU and Alabama. <sighs> These are two really good teams. This one was a hard one to call, but I'm really excited to see. Um, you know. Tua come back. He had the high angle sprain a couple weeks ago, and he's finally supposed to come back this week. But I think it it'll come all come down to that. I feel like he's probably I don't know. Do you think he'll play timid though, since he's coming back from high angle sprain? Or do you think he'll just come back all guns blazing? That's what I'm interested to see. I believe this is the same ankle that he hurt last year, and as you already said, he has surgery on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been able to rest. They had the bye week, and he also didn't play against Arkansas, so he's had some time to rest up. Uh, reports were saying throughout practice he looks like he's around 85%, and this was on Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe he'll be around 90 to 92% coming to Saturday. But you know with injuries, you can look fine in practice, but when you come into a game, it's a totally different mindset. Um, adrenaline's pumping. Uh, the hits are going to be more realistic. Uh, so you just don't really know how well how much a player has progressed from an injury until they get into a game-like situation. Yeah, and not to keep all the attention on Tua because Mac Jones has been doing a really good job in his place since he has gotten injured. Oh, obviously, wait, they had a bye week and then, yeah, but he's been he's been stepping up and playing pretty big. Him coupled with Devontae Smith on the wide receiver have been really giving this Alabama offense, you know, what they need. Obviously, not what we're used to seeing with the roll tad, crimson tad, <laughs> but they're still doing a really good job on the offense. Absolutely, Carrie. Like you were just saying, talking about Devontae Smith, him coupled with Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy is – in my opinion, the best wide receiver core in college football to go along with uh, Tua Tagovailoa, who's a <clears throat> potential Heisman candidate. But there's he's not the only Heisman candidate that's going to be on the field today or Mm-mm. in this game. Uh, obviously, LC quarterback Joe Burrow has been having an amazing season so far due to the fact that he has a great offensive line and a much more talented receiving core as opposed to last year. Uh you know, the, uh, the receivers they have are, you know, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Terrace Marshall. These receivers are very quick, and they they do a very good job of timing of timing the ball on their jumps. Now, I believe they're going to have a problem going up against the size of the cornerbacks at Alabama with Patrick Sertan and Trayvon Diggs. Now, if Alabama is able to stop the pass of LSU, I don't know if LSU will be able to rely on their run their run game to be successful. But I do see I do see Joe Burrow uh, putting up quite a few numbers just because Alabama plays so much man defense that 
those receivers are just because just based off their talent, they're going to be, get open eventually, either off a off a slant routes or crossing routes. They're going to get open up. They're going to open up eventually. But like you were saying with with Tua, I think Tua, if Tua is at a hundred percent, I think Alabama's offense is going to be enough to cancel out any sort of threat the LSU is going to have uh, on the defensive end. But I like you were saying, I think it depends on if how how healthy Tua is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think we can. I mean, obviously, Alabama is consistently a powerhouse team, but I don't think we can take away from the um, just the season that Joe Burrow has had, you know? Um, just a couple games ago, he basically set the program record for touchdown passes in a single season in Game 7. Um, and then he has the help of Clyde Edwards um, as a running back. And, you know, I think LSU might be able to pull this one out, actually. Really? Like, I would like to see that. You know, that would be interesting to see because that would be the first. this would be the first win that LSU had against Alabama since 2011, since quote-unquote the game of the century, mm-hmm. which ended up being a score at 9-6. to six. <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but uh, We might be in store for a new game of the century, right? <laughs> well, hopefully there's more scoring in this game. Yeah. But with the talented offensive players on each team, I do see this being a much, much more high-scoring game. So, uh, Carrie, what's your what's your prediction for this game? I got the LSU Tigers winning it. I'm going to say 23-17. to 17. Oh, Interesting, interesting. So... I have this being a close game up until the fourth quarter. I see LSU having a lead going to the fourth quarter, but like I said, Tua's 100%. I just see Tua's talent transcending everything else going on within the game. I see him leading the last-minute drive to put Alabama on top by a score of 31-24. Guess we'll see Saturday. We'll see, we'll (laughs) see. So let's talk about some NFL not too many exciting games going on. Well, a couple of exciting games, but in my opinion, the most exciting game we have going on this week is between the San Francisco 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks. Russell! <laughs> Russell, I love you! Just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, Sierra, I'm just kidding. <laughs> obviously, obviously a huge NFC West matchup. Uh, it's going to be on Monday night. Uh, Carrie, what are your thoughts on San Francisco? Like you said, I think this will be the most exciting game of the week coming up. Obviously, there's a bunch of bye teams, but I don't know. It should be a good one. Um, the Seahawks haven't had a good last few seasons since they won the Super Bowl. What, what year was that they won the Super Bowl? How many years ago was that? Did they win the Super Bowl? 20, or they... The 2013 season. Yeah, it's been kind of like a roller coaster for them in the past few years since that. So it'll be a tough one to see, but hopefully Russell Wilson can come through and, like, you know, assert his, uh, assert his playing on the field um, against the 49ers. Obviously, both teams have had okay seasons, not like stellar seasons, but like you know, it'll be pretty. I think it'll be pretty evenly matched. Mm-hmm. Talking about Russell Wilson, uh, in my opinion, he is—he's been the league MVP so far. Uh, just looking at what he's been able to do with the talent that's around him, I think is extraordinary. I think the only player that comes close to him so far this season is is Aaron Rodgers. And it's safe to say that Aaron Rodgers probably has a little bit more talent on that Packers offense than Russell Wilson. And quite frankly, probably has a better offensive line. But I let's, I expect Russell Wilson to continue to uh, his hot, continue to keep his hot streak going against the San Francisco defense. That actually played quite well against the Arizona Cardinals last week. But like we were saying, the O-line is going to be huge for the Seahawks uh, coming into this game. If they can provide Wilson, if they can provide Russell with you know enough enough time to dissect and pick apart the San Francisco secondary, that's going to be key. But it's going to be key because San Francisco, as you know, uh, lost their linebacker Quan Alexander mm-hmm. for the season last week, and obviously uh, linebackers are considered to be a part of the front. But he was an amazing coverage linebacker, and he's his his presence is going to be missed. Uh, amongst the San Francisco secondary. So let's see. And also, uh, we forgot to mention, obviously, this is Richard Sherman going up against his uh, <laughs> former team in the Seahawks. So let's look uh, Let's look for him to play with a little bit more emotion. We know how Sherman can be sometimes. Uh, he plays with a chip on his shoulder, and that normally tends to help make him a better player. But... Uh, still speaking of the O line for the Seahawks, uh, I don't see them being able to run the ball quite well. 
against the San Francisco D-line, which is, uh, I believe, top 10 in the NFL against the run. Uh, but like I was saying, the secondary of San Francisco, I just I don't see them being able to contain DJ Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and possibly Josh Gordon, who they just claimed off the waivers from the Patriots. But so far, Josh Gordon is listed as, as questionable, so you know we'll see if Gordon is suits is going to suit up. Yeah, I think the key to this game will be um, for if the Seahawks want to put a damper in the um, the Forty ers uh, undefeated season. If is if if is if Russell Wilson will be able to run the ball. So it all comes down to you know the pass protection or the pass protection, and you know what his O line will provide for him there. But. Um, yeah, it'll be. It's gonna be a tough one to call. Like I think this will probably be the the Forty ers biggest uh, matchup, biggest like you know the toughest matchup this se- or up until now. Would it be safe to say this is gonna be this is San Francisco's toughest opponent that they played? I think so. Okay. I think so so far. What about? Uh, am I wrong? Do you think I'm wrong? I agree. I agree. This, yeah? this is definitely gonna be the toughest test that San Francisco has had so far this year. And speaking of San Francisco's offense. Uh, I do see Matt Breida having a solid day against a susceptible Seahawks pass for, uh, uh, rush defense. Uh, I do see new wide receiver or two-week new wide receiver Emmanuel Sanders getting deep inside leverage against the secondary against the Seahawks, which has been, I won't say atrocious, but they've definitely struggled so far this year. So I see Emmanuel Sanders being able to, like I said, get deep, get deep inside leverage, possibly get open on some post routes. But I don't know if Jimmy G is going to be comfortable without his safety net, uh, George Kittles. Because as you know, George Kittle is doubtful for the game this Sunday, last time I read. And if Kittle isn't available, obviously they'll be able to double now up on, uh, on Sanders and put more coverage towards his way. And I don't know if Jimmy G is going to be able to uh, handle that because as you know he's he's turned the ball over quite a few times this season and that's quite frankly the only problem that this the San Francisco offense has had and I just I see him I see that being a problem for uh, for San Francisco this week mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on that no I completely agree with that yeah. you know like you like we said toughest matchup for the uh, 49ers so far and I I'm not sure they can pull this one out like this might be their first their first loss this season. Yeah. You know, it's interesting how when you have a extremely talented quarterback, it's interesting how how many problems that can fix. You know, let's look, you know, we're looking at, uh, let's look at Aaron Rodgers. It seems like no matter what's going on within the Green Bay organization, they always find themselves in the playoff mix mm-hmm. simply because of, Aaron Rodgers' presence. And it's, Russell Wilson has that same effect on Seattle, even with all the problems that Seattle has going on with their with their running game, with their O-line, with their secondary. Russell Wilson's talent is, is high enough to continue to keep Seattle in the playoff picture. And, I, and if people didn't think Russell Wilson is a top-five quarterback in the league, I hope they're able to see it now based off the season that he's having. It's extremely stellar. Uh, I'm extremely impressed. And I think this is the game, Monday night, in San Fran. Everyone's going to see it. This is the game that Russell Wilson is going to show everybody why he's the league MVP. And I quite, quite frankly, Carrie, I don't see, like you said, I don't see this game being close. I see San Francisco folding under pressure, losing by a score of 21 to 32. And like I said, I see Russell Wilson establishing himself as the MVP. Yeah. I also have uh, the Seahawks winning this one 28 to 20. Obviously, like you said, a quarterback asserting their, asserting their you know, game on, on any field was definitely makes a difference. And I agree with you, Russell Wilson. I think we'll definitely have a difference in uh, giving the Seahawks that win. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, guys. Done with football. <laughs> <laughs> Let me not say that. Uh I have a lot of people that play football at a high level that listen to this podcast, and I appreciate you guys. I appreciate everyone that's that's been listening to this podcast. Uh, your support, uh, 
your feedback. Me and Carrie really appreciate it. Uh, we just want to provide you guys with the the most honest and precise content in terms of sports. And we just hope we're able to give that to you. Sorry, Carrie, what's uh what's next on our agenda for today? A little basketball. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Bas- we're playing basketball. I don't know if I could sing that. Obviously, I can't sing, but... <laughs> Relative. Is that copyright issues? Hopefully not. <laughs> Might be ears bleeding issues. <laughs> Anyways, what do we got, Kashan? Basketball. What are we All talking? Right, Carrie, there are some very, very entertaining games that came on the other day. Uh, let's start with one game I was pretty interested interested in: the Boston Celtics and the Charlotte Hornets. So many storylines to go over in this uh, in this game, but let's just start with this to start with the main the main one. Uh, Kemba Walker, as you guys know, he left Charlotte in free agency to take the lead helm at point guard in Boston, and he has not disappointed so far. Currently six and one, the Boston Celtics are, but to the behest of Charlotte, they went and picked up. You guessed it, Terry Rozier, <laughs> right from Boston. And Charlotte has been playing above expectations, to say the least. I mean, they are 4-4, four and four, but, I mean, who – I personally can't say I saw them even being a 500 team this year. I don't know what your thoughts on that are on that, carry, but I didn't see them being a 500 team. But, like I said, they had definitely exceeded expectations. Uh Obviously, they ran into a tough Boston team last night. Uh, they lost uh, 108-87. to mm-hmm. And with with Boston, like I said last week, guys, no disrespect to Kyrie Irving because he's an amazing player, but the ball – so I was watching this game, and Kerry, I'm sure you saw it too. Within the first 12 seconds of the shot clock, the ball, the ball movement is much – it's just much greater with Kemba Walker in the lineup as opposed to Kyrie. And I think that's well, – I don't think well, – from what I've seen, it's because when Kemba Walker is able to come off the screens, his ability to be patient and keep his defender on his hip coming off that screen gives him time to cut to get into the paint. And while he's doing that, while he's keeping the defender on his hip and getting, getting both feet in the paint, that allows weak side movement for the Celtics, so you got guys like Jalen Brown or uh, Jason Tatum being able to have a false action on the weak side, which opens up the help side actually for the defense, mm-hmm. and that opens up passing lanes for the bigs of uh, of Boston, and it also intrinsically opens up the skip pass, and that's what uh, that's what that's what made Boston very effective the, uh, this, in the game against Charlotte. That ability to really get in the paint and kick it out off of guys that are relocating off the drive. But also, uh, transition, the transition offense really helped out with uh, helped out with Boston today. And, Kerry, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Marcus Smart is a top five passer in the league. I saw him on the break, and he was coming up the middle. And he had the ball in his left hand, and he went to his right. And right off the dribble to his right, he gave a dime, no-look dime at half court to, I think it was Gordon Hayward running the lane. And it's interesting how guys like Gordon Hayward and Brown and Smart, guys that were still somewhat, they were still successful with Kyrie, how much more comfortable they're able to play as opposed to, you know, with, with Kemba. And getting back to the ball movement, uh, the, their ability to get out in transition is much more fluid. And it's because... Like I just said with Mark Smart making that pass as opposed to dribbling up court. As you guys as you guys know, the quickest way to get up to get a ball up court is to pass it. But a lot of times guys that are uber talented, they like to keep the ball in their hand uh, because they want to create. But, you know, with a team like Boston, whose talent level, everybody's on the same kind of t- talent level as opposed to Kim, but I think he's he kind of stands out. But they're able to get the ball up court because they know that they don't have to create for themselves. The talent around, just around, around them, they know is going to be able to get them open shots. 
And that's one thing I'm really I've really noticed with Boston during the game. Uh, one thing that Boston really did well is also uh, their defensive, uh, their low post defense is uh, surprising. It's surprisingly impressive to me. Now it could be because the the post players on Charlotte aren't that talented. They're talented, but not at the level of high level opponents like you know Milwaukee or Philly. But uh, but Boston also did a good job of, like I said. Uh, at their low post defense. They also did a good job of hedging on the screens and making it uncomfortable for guards like Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham uh, come off those screens. And Boston is uh, more lengthier than people expect. And so like I was telling you guys last week, their ability to, when you're a longer, when you're a longer team, you're able to, when you close out, it's, it makes it easier because your hands are longer, and so you don't have to close out as far because your arms are longer and they're going to cover that space. And one thing that I would notice is Terry Rozier and, and Graham and the guards from Charlotte, when they would get into the paint, they would get they would get paint touches. They would get to the paint, and they would kick it out, and it would be, it would be the right play. But when you have guys like Jalen Brown and Tatum that are just so long, that shot that you have off the, uh, off the kick out, you're not really open because the guys are so long that their 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 closeouts, you know, are are quicker and they're you're just able to get there faster. And so, shots that would be open against another team aren't open. And I'm I'm continually to, uh, Boston is continually continuing to impress me, uh, in, so far in this early season. But was there anything you saw, Carrie, specifically? Yeah, I mean, obviously this wasn't a cl- that close of a game, <laughs> not to take away from the Hornets' playing style. But like you said, Boston is just like in no in no digs at Kyrie or whatever. But it's just a whole different team under Kemba. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, I always say, I in this new era of basketball, it's really hard for me to watch just because it's like a lot about the individual player as opposed to the team. But I love, especially like Boston's back when like K. Uh, KG and. Uh, Paul Pierce and uh, Rajon Rondo, was it, yeah, mm-hmm. were all on the team. It was more like a team, at, like team aspect of basketball, and like none of those guys were like you know just stellar, like you know LeBron James or like you know Kobe Bryant's whatever. But as a team unit, they were able to like you know, it's just the consistency as a team like made a big difference on the court, and I think that's a lot of what these guys now are showing. Right, right, and you were talking about the team aspect, and you're you're talking about the ball movement being more cohesive mm-hmm. it, i think carrie what it is guards this is the this is the era of the guards by the way this is the most talented the most talent the nba has had at the guard position since i can remember but like but the guards are so talented carrie that you want to allow them to create uh shot opportunity for themselves and for their teammates. But and it's, it's easier to just give them the ball and say, okay, just create for everybody. Just because they're, they're able to do it because they're talented. Now, is that the most efficient way? Uh, that's debatable. Uh, you can look at guys like Harden and Westbrook when he was in OKC. And, I mean, frankly, you can even look at Kyrie right now in, in Brooklyn. Uh, you can look at Devin Booker in Phoenix, uh, Donovan Mitchell in Utah. I mean, how effective is that style of play where you just give the ball to a guard, run a high pick and roll with a four low and say, create for everybody. It's it's able to be done because the guards are so talented, but uh, how effective it is, I mean, it's, it's debatable. But one thing, Carrie, that I do want to talk about is is uh, is Charlotte. And the guard situation they have at Devontae Graham with Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier. Now, as you guys know, Terry Rozier signed a huge contract this past offseason with Charlotte. But don't be surprised if in two years, Devontae Graham is the starting point guard for the Charlotte Hornets team. And I'm not trying to give a hot take or go on a limb, but Devontae Graham's ability to, like I said, hunt the paint, but also his ability, <coughs> sorry, to pull up. Not only at the mid range, but at the top, at the three point line, I think it's really going to set him apart from Terry. Now Terry's an excellent shooter, but his ability to 
pull up off the screen is 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 good but it's not stellar but uh i and also Devonte graham obviously is younger and i think he has a lot of upside and watch him play last year i didn't see this i didn't see the i didn't see the upside that i see now and obviously he's been working in the offseason uh getting his touch right getting used to the nba spacing in the court but Devonte looks a lot more comfortable within the offense and he just lo- he looks more comfortable with the ball in his hand, and I think it's, he's starting to get more confident in his game. And that is that is a positive thing I saw from Charlotte is the play of Devontae Graham. And obviously, Miles Bridges uh, out of Michigan State, he's continuing to improve, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's in a contention for, to make the All-Star team within the next, I would say, three years. The only problem is with Charlotte, it's a small market. It's hard to... It's hard to get any recognition there. I mean, we saw how Kemba, how hard it was for Kemba to even make the All Star team and All NBA team, even with the numbers he put up last year. But there is a lot of young talent on this on the Charlotte team. Uh, they're just in a weird state in terms of the franchise. They're quite frankly in no man's land. They're not. They're not bad enough to tank, and they're not good enough to make the playoffs. They're really in the middle, and I see them leaning more towards just tanking. But you know, we'll see what they do. If I was Michael Jordan, I would definitely go lean towards tanking just so we can start to, or they can start to rebuild. But uh, but they're exceeding expectations. They're four and four, so we'll see how we'll see how they how they do so far, you know the rest of the year. But yeah, so that's what we saw. From the Celtics and Horn. All right, Carrie. So, what uh, what other games did we have on schedule to, to talk about? We had the Clippers and the Trailblazers. Clippers took that one, one hundred seven to one hundred one. Ah, the night game. The night game on TNT. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm gonna save Kawhi Leonard for last, but well, I'm gonna save the Clippers for last too. But I was impressed. I was with the Trailblazers and the way they played. Uh, just like I was saying last week, uh, Portland is. Their bigs have extremely good footwork, and so their ability to guard um, other teams off the pick and roll is makes them effective defensively. Now, the their defense against the pick and roll last night against the Clippers did look kind of susceptible, but you know, outside of that, I think their help side defense was very good. I think their ability to recover on the help side and to contest shots were very good. I think Hassan Whiteside is going to be a huge presence for them without use of Nurchich. Uh, I think Hazonia has been a huge pickup for them. Now he didn't have a good game yesterday, but I think I can. See he's another player that can kind of create for himself on the wing, which is like last week we were talking about is what Portland needs, and he'll be a good. Uh, be a solid player to come off the bench to provide a scoring spark for Portland. Uh, McCollum, obviously, and Lillard, they they played well. Uh, I mean, they shot 9-23. But just when you have both those players on the court at the same time, they're going to draw so much attention. It's going to make scoring off the catch a lot easier for the other wings and guards that are on the court with them. Uh, now... Rodney Hood played 30 minutes, uh, only shot the ball five times and scored five points. I think if Portland is going to be in serious contention for the Western Conference, they have to have more production out of Rodney Hood. Rodney Hood's a very capable player, uh, but sometimes it can be hard to find your spot when you play with other talented players. But what... one thing I saw with Hood, he has he had a lot of op- opportunities, especially off the kickout, to either drive or take a shot, but he would make an extra pass. And I think he's just still, I mean, he was there last year, but I think he's still going to feel for how uh, where where to find his his touch and where you know he he he's most comfortable within the offense. Uh, Kent Bazemore played well coming off the bench. Uh, I like Kent's game; he's amazing. He's a very solid defensive player as a guard. 
I think that's going to that's going to be crucial for Portland uh, later on in the year on the defensive end. And Anthony Tolliver has been a huge pickup so far, at least on the defensive end. They, uh, they're going to need more protection out of him offensively. And I I think this is going to be the M.O. for Portland until Nurtures comes back and Collins, their other big that's hurt. Uh, they know they might not get much production out of offensively out of their bigs and some of their wings, but McCollum and Lillard are going to have to compensate for that. And it doesn't help that Portland went up against, in my opinion, the best defensive team in the league uh, with the Clippers. Uh, they went up against two amazing guards defensively with Patrick Beverly and uh, Landry Shamit. Now, last year, Shamit wasn't – he was a he was a adequate defensive player, but he, he has definitely stepped up his work on the defensive end this year. I noticed a lot of times that his ability to either hedge uh, when he goes on top of the screen, his ability to get off get off that screen, get back to his to his man is very efficient. And also, when he goes, if he goes under the screen, his ability to get off still also get off the screen and get back to his man uh, is definitely improved a lot from last year. And his length, he's very long for he's a very long guard. So is Patrick Beverly. Surprisingly, he has very long arms. They both do. Was, that makes it easier to recover to your man and Patrick Patterson uh, another good defensive post player uh, he played well uh, for for the Clippers uh, Zubach top five center in terms of footwork not talent footwork Zubach for any for any uh high school basketball players, college basketball players that want to know how they can be effective without having the ability to shoot the ball from the outside, watch Zubac play. Zubac has amazing touch around the rim, and he has amazing feel coming off the pick and roll. So as you guys know, when you set the screen, you want to turn inside uh, to the ball handler. And when Zubac does that, he's already big. But that, as you guys know, that closes off the help uh, from the road man on the defensive end, and that opens up the lane for Zubac. And so, when you would we would see Lou Williams, Shamit, even Kawhi would come off that screen, and the dump down uh, to Zubac would be there all the time, just because Zubac has amazing footwork uh, on setting the screen and in the low post, and he's an amazing offensive rebound rebounder. Uh, creates a lot of second chance opportunities for the Clippers. Uh, they got a lot of production. The Clippers did offer their bench as well. Obviously with Lou Williams, uh, Mo Harkless, uh, Montrez Harrell, who is an amazing, another amazing defensive post player that the Clippers have. And, and let's talk about what everybody wants to talk about, Kerry Kawhi Leonard. Yes, <laughs> Stella fourth quarter from Kawhi. <laughs> Kawhi Leonard had 18 points in the fourth quarter. Now, what I'm impressed with with the Clippers, Kerry, is that they were able to be in this game without Kawhi being productive. And I think that says a lot about the talent around Kawhi and around Paul George when he gets here that the Clippers have. Doc Rivers has done a great job of tweaking the offense that the Clippers have. There's more weak side rotations now. Uh, The ball screens are now coming from the wing as opposed to the top of the key. There's much more uh, flex cuts for uh, for the Clippers, and the there's more false actions, like I said, on the weak side uh, that opens up the lane more for the Clippers. And, you know, speaking, going back to Kawhi, what makes Kawhi effective is not only his ability to get to his spot, but to get to his spot on his time. Obviously, in the NBA, everyone can score the ball. Everyone can score. But what makes Kawhi effective is he's always going at his pace. He's never he's never sped up. He's never in a rush. He's always composed. And that's because he's not he's not even looking at the man in front. Great players, by the way. 
they know they already have the man in front of them beat. And so they're looking at the other four defensive players to see what's going to happen. Because he already knows he can blow by his first man. That's First man's out of the picture. What they're really looking at is the next four defenders and how they're going to react. And that's going to decide, that's going to dictate if he kicks it out, dumps it down, or if he goes up into a shot. But like I said, Kawhi's patience is, is phenomenal. Uh, shows extreme confidence in his game. And also, uh, Kawhi's mid-range ability to be successful in the mid-range opens up a lot more opportunities uh, for other players from the outside just because, like I said, it draws in more pressure uh, on the defensive end, and it's, it makes it the ability for him to kick it out much easier. And Kawhi's footwork has drastically improved over the years, and his touch around the rim has dramatically improved as well. But I think what's making what's making it easier for Kawhi to score this year is his ability to play make. Uh, and Kawhi last night had, I mean, he only had four assists, but I think he's averaging six or seven assists on the year uh, so far. And when when defenses know you're multidimensional, they have to do more to uh, you know to guard you. They have to take something away. They either have to take away your playmaking ability or your scoring ability. Some, they have to take something away. And with Kawhi, now that defenses have to choose what they're going to take away, either his playmaking ability or his scoring, it makes everything. It makes what they didn't take away easier for him. And what you're starting to see is teams are trying to take away his scoring ability, but that's making the game easier, like I said, for his, for his teammates because he still has the ability to playmake because they took away his scoring ability. His ability to kick it out to Lou Williams, Shamit, uh, everyone on that Clippers roster that can shoot, his ability to kick out to them uh, makes it easier, you know, for everybody. And if there was any question, Kerry, as to who the best player in the league was, I hope last night answered that question, that Kawhi Leonard is the best player not only in Los Angeles, in the Stable Center, but in the world, or in the NBA, sorry. Oh, that's yeah. a bold statement. Yeah, yeah. Got to be objective. Got to be honest. This is the truth podcast, guys. We only speak the truth. I like it. I like it. I like it. Yeah. But yeah, so now that we have our uh, our predictions and our analysis out the way, Carrie, there is a, there's a little topic we want to talk about today. Uh, as you guys know, it is... Early November, in my opinion, the best time of the year because basketball season has started at the professional level, uh, at this overseas level for us. Basketball season started about four games in. College basketball has recently started, and high school basketball should be going into practice soon, right? So at some level, everyone's either going into the start of preseason, the start of training camp, but they're early in the, they're early in the season. Now, Carrie, uh, for a freshman or a transfer or a new player going into a going to a new organization, there can be a lot of nerves and a lot of stress to say as to how they should either carry themselves or what their thought process should be going into training camp and going to the start of preseason. What are uh, what are your what's, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think this obviously topic applies to any sport. Obviously, basketball season is coming up and starting right now. But I think it's a great time, especially for newbies and rookies, to one, I think the two big thing takeaways are, one, understand your role, and two, establishing your place on the team. Um, obviously, when it comes to, like, NBA or, like, you know, college basketball, coaches kind of have a mindset of what they want. Um and you should obviously probably know that as well. You should know like what your intended role is. But also if you're coming in as like a six man off the bench or something, like you it's your time to establish yourself, you know? Earn that starting spot if you can. Obviously it's really early in the season and like things haven't been like set in stone. So this is a really time to kind of like, you know, start off strong, especially in those training camps and practices, making sure you're giving, you know, your 100% effort, not slacking because it's the start of the season, but actually showing that you want to be there and, and, and putting in that work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, what if you had, say you're 
say you're a coach, right? Say you're a coach of your own basketball program. And you have a freshman that's a guard that comes in. What is the most important thing, in your opinion, that you're looking for that freshman to do? As a guard? As a guard. As, like, the starting guard or, like, there's a guard and he's, like, the backup? What Like, what's... Uh, uh, starting guard. You're looking at him to be a star... Looking at that person to be a starting guard. What are you looking for that freshman to do? Okay, well, obviously, I feel like and on the basketball court, the guard kind of controls the tempo, controls the game. There, Obviously, those leadership skills are very important. As a freshman, you're coming in kind of young. You know, you might not be the oldest player on the team, but that doesn't mean anything. As a point guard, you should really be able... You should really be that person that people are looking to, like, you know to make the plays and to, you know, to, to kind of assert their, not, I don't necessarily assert their authority as like a boss, but like be that leader. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it just goes back down to like the hard work and like, you know, really being vocal in practices, um, getting the most out of like, you know, if you watch film or like, you know, training sessions and also like doing the things outside of off the court as well um, to maintain like, you know, your health. Mm-hmm. Also when it comes to school, your grades and stuff like that. You really got to keep, like, uh, good taps on everything. Absolutely, absolutely. There's a lot of things that go into play uh, when you come to a new program and a new organization, like you said. And it's interesting, you said, it's interesting that you said that as a coach, you want a new incoming guard to be able to control tempo. Now, I'm a, for, for those of you who know, I played at Southern Virginia University uh, in college. And I remember coming into training camp, uh, started, pre- or started training camp, I wanted to show my coach that I could do everything. I could score. I could play defense. I could rebound. Uh, I could I could play make. I wanted to show him that I could do everything. I had the whole arsenal. Because in my opinion, I thought I did. Every player should think that they're great at what they do. But that hindered me because I was, by me trying to do everything, I was playing out of the role that coach had intended me to have. Now... Speaking from a purely basketball perspective, as a freshman guard, either at the high school level, college, or at the college level, the key things you want to do coming into training camp is show your coach that you have the ability to defend and control tempo. Now, when I say control tempo, I mean knowing when to push the ball and when to pull it out. And also knowing how to get your teammates in the right positions to score. Now, that doesn't mean you have to play make every time. That doesn't mean you have to, you know, come off the screen every time, draw into defenders and kick out. That just means making either the right backdoor play or making a good angle pass from the top of the key to the wing or making a hard cut to get someone else open. The ability to control tempo shows co- the coach that not only you're confident in your game, but he won't have to worry about you turning the ball over. As you know, turnovers are the quickest way to get on the bench as a guard. And not only that, but the ability to defend. Now, if you're show coach that you're a capable defender and then you can at least stay in front of your man, then he won't have to worry about you being a liability defensively. And that that just gives him another reason to keep you on the court. Now, also, a lot of times freshmen have, not freshmen and new players coming to organizations, they have a mindset that I'm going to come in here and I'm going to show everybody what I'm made of. I'm going to show them why a coach brought me in here. That's fine. Sure, have that mindset. But don't, don't do it all at once. You know what I mean? You want to be calm and composed going into that first day of training camp. You want to get a feel for everybody, your teammates, see how everyone moves, and see what's necessary for the team to be successful. Yeah, you want to show everybody what you can do. That's fine. But first, see what the team needs you to do, and then move forward. So don't think you got to be a superhero. Don't think you have to prove everything to everybody that's on the team and the organization in one day. Just do what's necessary. And that's what great players do. They do what's necessary in that moment. And as the season goes along, then their other attributes start to start to, start to show. You know, their ability to, to shoot the ball, to dribble, their ability to catch and shoot uh, from the three-point line, their ability to 
playmake, their ability to have their hands up uh, in, in the passing lanes, then everything else starts to show up. But if you're if you're a new player at the professional level, if you're a freshman uh, going into high school, if you're a freshman in college going to uh, going to start training camp, focus on playing defense, stay in front of your man, hustling on the defensive end, and controlling tempo. Everything else is going to come. I promise you. There's a reason your coach brought you there. Everything's going to come eventually on the offensive end. And also, see what the team needs out of you before showing everyone that you're a superstar. Do what's necessary for the team. And that's the best way to get playing time, uh, coming into training camp at least. But that's I mean, that's just my opinion, but, you know, what do I know? Uh, Carrie, did you have any other thoughts on that? No, absolutely. I mean, I agree with everything that you said. I think it was really important when you were saying, although establishing yourself as a player, but also understanding your role. Like, sure. do your job. Like, you know what I'm saying? Don't be trying to do your job and everybody else's job because that's somehow, that sometimes, especially, like, when it comes to volleyball, that's how, like, things get kind of misconstrued and stuff like that. Absolutely. It's okay to assert yourself and it's okay to be vocal and stuff like that, but not at the detriment of other, you telling other people what to do and, like, you know, changing the game completely. And I think these are just lessons that any sport, like not just basketball, just any sport that I can really relate to when it comes to your craft. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Uh, Carrie, I think that's everything we had to talk about today. There's anything, is there anything else that you want to add before we sign off? Not that I can think of. Mm. I mean, it's a great day to be alive. Always, always, always a blessing to wake up in the morning, guys. So, guys, uh, we appreciate you guys listening to the Sorry to Body podcast. Uh, uh, shout out to Nerve, Nerve Podcast and Nerve Radio for giving us the opportunity. Uh, we love talking with you guys about sports and life in general. Uh, like I said, my co-host, Carrie Hall, is going to be with us for the remainder of the time. Wonderful to have her here. Blessed to have her here. But uh, until next time, guys, peace. <laughs>